Hello to everyone. We're thankful again for another opportunity to get to study the Word of God. Thankful for God allowing us to be able to do this and share this with you. Uh, it's just, it's amazing to me. And I, I'm thankful for everyone that listens and everywhere that you listen from. And I hope that the Word of God can be a strength to you. Our desire is certainly to, to benefit people and for people to be helped by the Word of God. Certainly it's not for our name. I'm convinced that through this our name has been uh, run down through a multitude of people, at least in our area, for the doctrines and for the things that's taught. But I, I pray that God would help this to reach hearts and help strengthen people on what the Bible says. And we've been studying in First Kings uh, we started chapter 18 last time, and there we'd like to pick up looking at the life of Elijah. God had commanded Elijah to go back and speak to Ahab, to go and tell uh, that God says, I will send rain upon the earth. It's time for this famine to end. God's going to send rain, and what mercy. Law, what mercy that God has brought and you know, you think, well, surely this has turned the hearts of the people unto God, and we're going to see uh, today that that certainly wasn't the case. Certainly it was not that the hearts of people had turned to God in the midst of all this famine. In fact, the opposite was true. And you say, well, how could that be possible? Well, the hardness and deception of man is unbreachable by anything. There is no tragedy. There's no amount of suffering. There's no amount of trouble in the flesh that'll bring a man to the place that he'll believe the Word of God. There's not. I realize that's a very hard statement and maybe that's hard to swallow, but it's the truth. Outside of the convicting power of the Holy Ghost and God convincing a man of the truth, there'll never be acceptance of it. And we'll see that today. So we were introduced to Obadiah last time, the governor uh, ruling over the house of Ahab. And I would imagine he was much like Joseph in Pharaoh's day. Uh, Pharaoh made Joseph the governor over his house and over all of his goods. I would imagine there Obadiah is. He's the governor over Ahab's house, overseeing all of the goods and all of the things that Ahab has uh, and managing those things. And we're introduced to him as a man that feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, he hid him by a hundred men, by fifty in a cave, risking his own life to please and to serve the God of heaven. And there we know Obadiah feared the Lord by what he did. So it's not about what people say. What's their life say? Does their life line up with the word of God? Well, if it don't, then you can throw out what they say. Let God be true and every man a liar. Realize they're lying to you and have some discernment for the truth. So we see that Jezebel, she began to kill the prophets of God. And perhaps this was the thinking there, that if she could kill the, the prophets that it would bring an end to the drought and the famine. We'll get rid of these men that are troubling, and I hate to skip ahead too far, but I believe it's important to see and to understand what I'm saying here. 
that the men of God are what's blamed for the trouble that's come here. And Ahab says to Elijah in this same chapter, Elijah appears to him, and this is Ahab's first words to Elijah. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Elijah, you're the reason that we're going through what we're going through. It was blamed on the men. And perhaps Jezebel thought, well, I'll kill all these men and we'll have rain again. We'll get rid of what's troubling us. And that's not, uh, that's not only thought of here, but in Mark, I believe we can see the same thinking with John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a man that stood on the truth and preached the word of God. He was, as the Lord says in his word, a man sent by God. So John the Baptist preaches, and in Mark 6, verse 18, For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him, and would have killed him, but she could not. Now Herodias, that's uh, Herod's brother's wife. So Herod had a brother, Philip, who was married to Herodias, and maybe Herod being the king, she wanted to marry him to have that position, and he wanted her probably because she was beautiful, and they wanted to marry one another. And John the Baptist is preaching, and he says, Herod, it's not lawful for you to do that. That is contrary to the word of God. That's your brother's wife. You can't have her. Well, that made them mad. And Herodias, she was angry at the preaching of John, and she wanted him dead. Because if we kill him, there won't be nothing there to hinder us. Now that's the way man thinks. If we can get rid of John, then this trouble will no longer be there. And she believed it to the place that in verse 27, uh, she's going to uh, send her daughter up to dance in front of Herod, Herod's going to get all excited. You imagine the filth here. What filth that man lives in. And there man's living today. Herod gets excited. He says, I'll give you whatever you want. And Herodias says, I want John's head and a charger. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel and the damsel to her mother. So they got what they wanted. John the Baptist was murdered. Did that bring an end to the word of God? Did that make the sin to be okay? Did that change anything? No. But it made them feel better about it. It helped her. Maybe it helped Herod. Herod was sad, though. Herod respected John, believed John to be a man of God, and he's going to believe that Jesus, as John the Baptist, rose from the dead, troubled him to kill John. But he did it for her, and it was her desire because of, not because of John, but because of what John preached. Boy, people hate the gospel, and they'd like to blame it on man, because, you see, if it's my fault then God's not against them. If it's the pastor's fault, if it's this preacher's fault, 
then it's not God speaking to them, it's them. They're right. It's the preacher that's wrong. We need to get rid of him. Well, that's what Herodias said about John the Baptist. She hated him because of what she preached. And in John chapter 11, now here's the high priest in that day, Caiaphas, and he's going to stand, and this is what he's going to say. One of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Now God's inspiring this, in a sense. He's prophesying, but he don't know that he's prophesying. The Lord Jesus was going to die for the people, that the nation perish not. But what he was meaning in his mind was, this man Jesus is causing trouble. He's causing us to lose our authority. We need to kill him and get him out of the way so that we won't lose our place and our nation. See, there's the mindset of man. If we can get rid of this preaching, if we could get rid of this preacher, things would be all right. If I can get out of the church and get to the house, I'll be all right. But the word of God is not changed. Killing John the Baptist, that didn't make Herod and Herodias all right to get married. Killing the Lord Jesus didn't do anything for the nation of Israel. And in Acts chapter 7, we see the man Stephen, and I guess very familiar, very well-known account of Stephen's preaching. But you know what they did at his preaching? Now they were convicted. They were cut to the heart. They knew what he was saying was the truth. But we're going to kill that man and get rid of him. But boy, it didn't get rid of their guilt. They killed him. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and he fell asleep. They killed that man because of what he preached. Not because he was an evil man. Not because he had ever done them wrong. Not because he had stole from them. Not because he had ever done evil. They killed him because they didn't like what he preached. Boy, that goes on a pile today. People are throwing out men, and maybe not literally stoning them in our day, but boy, they're running them out, and they're making it known, and they're running them down with their mouth simply because of what they preach. And we looked last time. The Lord Jesus said, If they call me Beelzebub, what are they going to call you? Boy, I tell you, we're up against it today. God help us to stand together on the truth of the Word of God. The, the world thinks if we could get rid of this gospel, we'd be all right to do like we want to do. If we could get rid of the Word of God, if we could get rid of preaching, if we could get away from the church, if we could do away with the church, we'd be all right to live how we want to, and we wouldn't have to worry about a thing. But you know what the gospel is? That's the warning of God. Getting rid of the gospel doesn't change one thing. It doesn't mean God's less angry. No, what people are doing is doing away with their opportunity to repent and be saved. They're running out the warning of the judgment of God. Well, now her killing these prophets 
by, by what I can see now, this happened during the famine. So I, I don't have any doubt. She thought this is going to end this famine. I'll kill these men and this will end it. We'll get rid of what's troubling Israel. We'll get rid of what's caused this. We'll kill them and that'll, that'll cause it to cease. But boy, it didn't. The famine raged on. And yet here's Obadiah hiding these men and feeding them with bread and water. Now we talked a little bit about the prophets, uh, as it was said, but the northern ten tribes, and maybe this is granular and not as interesting as some things, but I, it's important to see. The northern ten tribes broke away, and there came two kingdoms after Solomon. Rehoboam said, and you can find this in the book of Kings, Rehoboam said, I'm not going to raise, I'm not going to make it easier on people, it's going to be harder. And the northern ten tribes broke away and formed their own kingdom with Jeroboam being their king. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, remained the king over Judah and over Benjamin. So the kingdom was divided. Now Jeroboam set up golden calves in the northern tribes and forbid them to go to Israel to worship. He was afraid if they, if they went down to Jerusalem to the temple that their hearts would be turned away from him. So he set up golden calves for them to worship. And they run the priests out and all of the priests, the Levites, the, the men that God chose to serve him, they went down and they were faithful to the kingdom of Judah in Jerusalem. So in Second Chronicles chapter 11, verse 13, the priests and the Levites that were in all Israel resorted to him out of all their coasts. For the Levites left their suburbs and their possessions and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord. And he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils, and for the calves which he had made. So Jeroboam run them out, and the Levites came to, Israel, to Jerusalem, to the kingdom of Judah. So God, not forsaking those northern ten tribes, he raised up these prophets. And we'll read in a little while about the sons of the prophets. These were men that God raised up, that were taught and instructed out of the word, and they were there to serve God and give out the word of God in the place of the priests that had been run out of town. They were the only source that the northern ten tribes had, these prophets were, because the Levites had left. And so Jezebel says, we'll cut them all off, We'll get rid of these men, and we'll solve this solution. But there was no solving this solution. And Ahab says unto Obadiah, so we've got that little blip telling us the kind of man that Obadiah really was. And then Ahab says unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all the fountains of water, and unto all the brooks, peradventure, and that word means by chance, Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. Now look at how bad that the situation had got. Ahab and Obadiah look at the land. They divide it between them. Ahab says, I'm going this way. 
and I'm going to try to find a patch of grass so the horses and mules will have something to eat because they're all going to die if we don't find something. And he's got no confidence in it. By chance, maybe we'll get lucky is a way that maybe we would say it in our language today. Maybe by some luck, we'll find some grass to feed these beasts. Because now remember, if you don't believe in God, then chance is all you've got. Boy, what a shame it would be to live in a world that everything's left up to chance. These men that believe that it's chance that people get saved. Boy, I'm glad we're not living in a world of chance. We're living in a world that God's in control and God's the guide and leader of. But Ahab didn't recognize that. So Abraham says, maybe we'll get lucky and find a little drop of water somewhere, find a little shred of a place of grass somewhere that we can feed these beasts because if we don't do something, if we don't find something, everything's going to be dead. My God, they had been brought down to their knees. Everything was dying. They were going to lose all of their beasts. God had crippled them with this famine. There was no water to be found anywhere, and they're going out searching for water. And yet, there's no searching for God. No, we're going to kill the prophets. The only place that there was hope we're going to kill them. That'll fix this. My God, how corrupt is man? Well, that's just Ahab. Yeah, I can hear. Ahab was wicked. He was wicked. He was desperately wicked. But you know what all of man is? Desperately wicked. Dead in trespasses and sins. And God, God could... God could collapse the economy and bring tribulation and trouble on the land. That ain't going to turn man to God in the least bit. Here, the trouble, the tribulation, the judgment took the stony hearts of Ahab and Jezebel and Israel and turned them against the God's people and caused them to kill him, kill them. But God had a man, Obadiah, that saved a hundred of these men, saved them alive, and fed them bread and water. No doubt he had to sneak that off of the table and bring it to these prophets. Sneak it out of the house and bring it to them that they would be able to live. Now, in Amos 4, verse number 7, This is what we read. And also I have withholden the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet ye have not returned unto me. We could read we could read a lot in this chapter. We can see God bringing judgment, God bringing trouble in the flesh, yet they didn't turn to God. How's man going to turn to God? By the enlightenment 
and drawing of the Holy Ghost and that alone. Losing a young'un, suffering a great affliction, losing your house, none of those things will turn man to God. Some of those will turn man against God. They'll harden a heart to a place that they'll turn against God. The only hope man has is the gospel. And you can see what man wants to do with the gospel. He wants to kill them, run them out of town. That's the problem. God's the problem. We're in a pitiful state, ain't we? So, in verse number 7. So, Ahab and Obadiah has split, and they're searching the land for some water, for some grass, that the beasts might live. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou that my lord, Elijah? So Obadiah was in the way. I, I've said a couple times in this study how perfectly the word of God's written. Obadiah was in the way. Now he, he was walking, searching for grass, as Ahab said. But boy, here's a man that fears the Lord. He's in the right way. He says in Isaiah 30, and I, I feel like this is a very familiar scripture. Isaiah 30, verse number 21 and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way. Walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. God's directing the lives of those that fear Him. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, we read this. And I feel like this is very familiar too. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. So there's a way to walk. That way is following the Lord Jesus Christ. That way is following the leadership of God and the Holy Ghost. That way is the way that God would put a man in. A good man's steps, as he says in Psalms, is ordered by the Lord. Well, here's Obadiah. He fears the Lord greatly. He's hiding feeding and giving water to these prophets of God that they might live, risking his own life. This is a man that's in the right way, and do you know who he's going to run into? God's going to direct this man, Obadiah, right to the very man of God, Elijah. Right to the man with a power upon his life. To the one man that's able to bring relief now, the Bible says Elijah met him. I don't know what Elijah would have looked like after all this time. And I don't know that Obadiah seen Elijah when he was there. I, I have no idea. Maybe Obadiah had seen him. And that's how he knew him. But we know this. Obadiah sees Elijah in the way. And he knew who it was. And he falls on his face and says, Art thou my Lord, Elijah? Are you, Elijah, the prophet, the man of God, the God that the man that God has bore witness to his life? Now, I, I believe this. Whether he had seen him or not, previous to this, the Holy Ghost made the man of God known to Obadiah. Just as we see in the New Testament. Now, I, I'm confident of this. 
Peter, James, and John, they didn't know what Moses or Elijah looked like. They'd never seen either one of them. But when Moses and Elijah appear on the mount of transfiguration with the Lord, they knew who they were. The Holy Ghost made known unto them who these were. And here, Elijah is recognized by the man of God. I, I want to go back to that scripture in Jeremiah. Search ye out the old paths wherein is the good way. It's worth saying, not all of the old paths are right. He says, search out the old paths wherein is the good way. The old paths is plural, and way, the good way, is singular. So there's a lot of old ways and old traditions and old thoughts that ain't worth five cents. Mom and Daddy, Great Granny and Grandpa might have done it this way, but friends, if it ain't lining up with the Word of God, it ain't worth five cents. I don't care how long the tradition's been. The children of Israel in Jesus' day, they had many traditions that transgressed the commandment of God. Law, have mercy. That's something we see everywhere today. Man has set in tradition and is rejecting the Word of God to hold on to that. God help us to search out the old paths and find the good way, the way that God would lead us in, the way where we might meet Elijah. Outside of the good way, we're not going to find God. No, God's going to be in the way, the good way. And so Elijah is going to meet the man here. Boy, what luck. Now, I say that, and I hope that you feel or think in your mind how wrong that is. Was this luck? Was this chance that here Elijah's been gone three and a half years, and he's in Zidon, and God's sending him back to speak to Ahab? And here's Obadiah, a man that fears God greatly, and Ahab's going to say, go out this way and go look for water and I'm going to go this way. And he runs into Elijah. Boy, what luck that was. This was a meeting at the direction and the leadership of God. Now, Elijah wasn't told, go meet Obadiah here. Elijah was sent to Ahab. Obadiah wasn't looking for Elijah at all. We'll see that in just a minute. He was out looking for grass. Now, in those two eyes... What a lucky circumstance this was. No, not luck. God's bringing them together for a purpose, for a reason, for a cause. And there, there, there is no luck. It's all by the direction of God. We can look in Luke 19 at the very familiar account of Zacchaeus. Now here's a man... As the Lord Jesus is passing through Jericho, he's got a desire to see, and he's going to climb a tree to get a look at the Lord Jesus. But boy, the Lord's going to walk to his tree, come to his house. Not luck. No, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And just like, now, you think about this. People don't, people don't like this doctrine. It's just the truth. People hate this doctrine. 
But now you think about the woman at the well of Samaria. Jesus said in the first verse, chapter 4, the book of John, I must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because there's a woman down there that I'm going to meet. It was at the direction, the leadership of God. Now Zacchaeus is going to climb a tree. Jesus is going to come to his tree. Now how did that happen? By chance? No. By the direction, by the leadership, by the hand of God. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus passing through Jericho, still, we see a blind man, Bartimaeus, by the way. He's going to get word, the Lord's coming through here. Is that by chance? No. Not by chance at all. A meeting led by God. And one more, and perhaps this one, most important. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I was showed mercy that I might be a pattern unto all them after me that would believe. Paul's a pattern that we can look at and we're going to be saved like Paul was saved. That's what the Bible tells me. Well, what about Paul's meeting? Paul's going to go. He's going to go down uh, on the road to Damascus. He's going to go down there and he's going to tie up and he's going to imprison people following the Lord Jesus. And guess who's going to meet him? The Lord's going to meet him on the way. Now, is this luck? No. This was the plan, the action, the foreordained plan of God to meet Paul on the road to Damascus. And God's going to speak to him. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. God's going to meet this man on the way to Damascus, and God's going to save him. So, being with the Lord, and the Lord meeting a man, Elijah meeting Obadiah, was not by chance, and was not blind luck. It was a meeting that God directed to bring these two men together. The man that feared God is going to be the man that God's going to send Ahab and say, I found Elijah. He's coming to meet you. And he answered him. We're back in 1 Kings now, chapter 18. This is verse 8. So he's run into Elijah and said, Art thou my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. So go and announce to Ahab that Elijah's here. Now we're about 30 minutes in. Maybe we'll stop here and we'll dig into this next time. And we're going to see Obadiah's fear of going and telling Ahab that Elijah's here, and he's afraid Elijah's going to disappear. And th this will be evidence now that Obadiah put his life at risk to save these men, these prophets. And we'll pick up right there next time. I appreciate you listening. Hope the Word of God's been a help to you. I feel sometimes we, we run rabbits, and I, I apologize for that. 
we'd like to give the sense of the Word of God, the pictures, the types and shadows that are hid in these scriptures, and I believe there's many, and I believe I also believe there's many that we don't bring out, that, that I don't see, and I hope the Lord will reveal those to you. Um, we hope you have wonderful week in the Lord, and Lord willing, uh, we hope to have another study next Wednesday. Do pray for us. We love you.